Merry Christmas to everyone. Several uh, before the first service, uh, in between the services, even a few moments ago, have texted me and just uh, indicated uh, the sorrow and longing to be here. Sorrow, regrets that they can't be here. And I know for many, because of what's going on in our world, uh, the tradition of participation in person has been broken this year. And we are uh, long to be with you. We're glad that you're with us. We're picturing you in your Christmas jammies. But we're so glad that you're participating with us. And as we say Merry Christmas, there's one big idea that I want to submit to you on this Christmas Eve. And that is this, that Christmas is for everyone. And in considering this, this evening, I, I want to call your attention to two things as I talk with you briefly this, this afternoon. And the first is this. I want you to consider God's journey to us and then your journey to God. Okay? Christmas, kids, you with me? Christmas is for everyone. So we'll consider God's journey to us and then our journey to God. Consider first God's journey to us. We just sang moments ago, let earth receive her king. And that word king can be so paradoxical, so different when we think about it because it's it didn't happen like we would say. If we use the word king, there's something a royal going on. There's something with a dignitary, something with a VIP. There's a green room. There's a driver outside. There's everything at their beck and call. But when God journeyed to you, Joseph and Mary, the story of Nazareth, some of you know, Nazareth was a little town of about... 300 people on almost 10 acres and it was a place that really was disrespected if not despised it was looked down upon I don't know where all of you are from if any of you come from a small place that's disrespected or made fun of but that was Nazareth and it was one of the few places in its time that did not have a sewage system let earth receive our king it was a king who grew up around outhouses A king who took about a 75-mile journey on a donkey to a place with his mom and dad. And there was no room in the presidential suite. A story from a few years back in America, a modern traveler is, he's doing that, he's traveling and he stops for a room. He needs a room, he needs a room right then, right, right now. And he was denied there was no room and the man growing more frustrated said you mean to tell me if the if, you know if the president of the united states came what, what would you do would you give him a room there, there's no rooms would you give the president a room if he showed up and the hotel clerk said yeah you know we'd work it out for the president and he said well i can guarantee you the president ain't coming tonight so i'll take his room we always don't we make room for important people. Do you run a hotel? Well, probably not, but do you run something? Do you do, you do customer service? Like when someone, someone big comes in, we make room for them. But this earthly king, his journey to you and to me, to the world itself, was a humble one. He was born in a barn. You ever ask somebody if they were born in a barn? I see some of y'all from the Delta, you know, y'all, you born in a barn? Hey, I wasn't born in a barn. I wasn't born yesterday. Were you born yesterday? I wasn't born in a barn. Were you born in a barn? Jesus was born in a barn with no doctor to deliver. Just the rough, callous hands of a carpenter. And this Christmas story, this message, what are we talking about today? That Christmas is for everyone. This Christmas message that was for, is for everyone was first announced to who? Do you know? To the shepherds. And the shepherds, let me break it down for you. The shepherds were the OG rednecks of their day. They were like on the eternal camping trip 
we were out with friends the other night. We were talking about our different hobbies, and we were, I guess, trying to impress some folks. And I told them some of my hobbies, and I said, well, you know, I like to hike and camp. And Susan nudged me under the table because I, I do that like once a year. But I always go big. Grand Canyon, Colorado Trail, Lanny Pace and Tyler Hendricks uh, went on this last hiking trip with us. And they can tell you, they, I think they love me and respect me as their friend and pastor. But toward the end of it all, with the treacherous terrain and the long hikes, and the sleeping on the ground and stuff, like I'm wanting, I'm wanting, I want to get there and get a, a double cheeseburger and a, beer, a root beer and just kind of hang out, you know, maybe a hotel shower, get into the world of modern conveniences. And I, I don't bear a lot of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control toward the end. I don't want to be camping out all the time. Shepherds were smelly. They needed a bath. Let earth receive her king, this king who came, who journeyed to you, that was first announced to the rednecks of the day. Shout out to all the rednecks. Christmas is for everyone. We live in a world where there's exclusivity. We live in a world, and people study this. If you're in marketing, uh, look, people make a living manufacturing and manipulating emotions so that you'll participate, that you'll buy a product or a service or enter into a club, and the more exclusive that you feel it is, the more money you will pay. Maybe not you, but that's the way people are. There's a water company, Bling H2O. You can look this up later. Bling H2O, it says it's for people that are sophisticated, and rebellious, exclusive people. You pay $40, anywhere from $40 to $400 for a bottle of this water. I don't know that that's elegant or sophisticated and rebellious. That's probably just stupid. Oh, exclusivity. But compare bling H2O water. Compare humanity and our desire to be tribal, to pull away from people, to say who is in and who is out. Compare that with Revelation twenty-two seventeen, which starts talking about the end of time and what God's preparing for all people. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who's thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Any doubters in the room, consider what the best-selling book of all time says about who it's for. Consider this passage in Acts 2.21. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And this in Romans 1.16, one of my favorite. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Second Peter 3 9 puts it this way, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And in Acts, Peter on a rooftop with a guy named Cornelius, Peter just learned something. He learned that this good news is for everybody. Peter began to speak. Peter was always speaking. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. By the way, we're going to light candles in a moment, and we're going to light candles with people from every nation around the globe. It's a remarkable thing to think about. The gospel, y'all, it's for everybody. It's for atheists and agnostics. It's for skeptics and critics and cynics. It's for Buddhists and Baptists and Lutherans and Presbyterians and non-denominationals. Yeah. It's for everybody. It's for cancer patients and prison inmates. It's for the one who earned their PhD and the one who's struggling to get their GED. It's for everyone. 
It's for the one who's living off unemployment or the one who's living off a trust fund. It's the one that will cut into a steak, a rare filet at Kessler Prime, and the one that will get it smothered and whatever hashed at uh, Waffle House. It's for everybody. This good news is for everyone. That's God's journey to you. But consider your journey to God. The shepherds, the shepherds, humble shepherds, had nothing to give. The wise kings from the east came with extravagance. But the humble shepherds, when they first got this announcement, they greeted it with fear. They were scared. Can I tell you, every spiritual journey, if it's genuine, will involve fear. And what I love about the shepherds is not that they were scared because there's plenty of things to get you scared. What I love about them is the fear yielded itself to joy. But they, in their fear, said, let's go check it out. Can I say to you, in your journey to God, I want to encourage you to make a journey to God if you haven't. To earnestly, actively, deliberately explore and investigate and lean in to who Jesus is, to what he provides. And the shepherds did that very thing. They, on their journey, it started with fear. But they explored, they said, let's go and see. I want to ask you, on Christmas Eve, have you gone to see? Have you been a seeker? The scripture tells us in Jeremiah 33 that everyone, let me switch it a little bit, to anyone who seeks God with all their heart, to diligently seek God, he, she, they will find him. But the scripture says something else. It also says, seek the Lord while he may be found. The idea there, maybe not a message to deliver on Christmas Eve, but the idea is that your heart could get so hard, that you could go so cold, you could turn away and no longer be a seeker. Seek the Lord. If you do so earnestly and diligently, seek the Lord. You'll find him. Seek the Lord while he may be found. There's God's journey to us. Let us, let earth receive her King. And there's our journey to God. Consider the lyrics of a Christmas song we've sung. The thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. Anybody know the next line? Anybody know what comes out? It's kind of like the alphabet. If you sing it, you'll come up with it, right? I'll give you a second. Sounds like they're from, from the South. It says this, yonder breaks a new and glorious morning. In the middle of what hurts, in the middle of the yearning and the impatience and the pain and the loss, there's something in every one of us, even the most strident skeptic, there's something in all of us that says there's got to be something more. There's got to be something better. And that's in every one of you. You know, it's so stubborn, it doesn't go away. Every time I talk with a, with a searcher, with a seeker, I see this. This weariness leads us, but there's another line and it says this, fall on your knees. Three words, four words there, but you know, there are two words that can change a lot of things. Two words in life that can change everything. If you're at a wedding, there are two words. We do a lot of them right here. If a wedding, two words that can change everything. I do. In a courtroom, there's two words that can change everything. Not guilty. If you're hungry, two words can change everything. Raising canes or Chick-fil-A, hyphenated. There's two words that can change everything. Here are two words that I want to put in front of everybody, every seeker, every searcher, everyone that wants to be on a journey with God. Here are the two words. I believe. I believe. But you have to believe. And what I want to say to you 
to the searchers is this is not some seasonal Christmas folklore. Jesus has had the great influence. Consider what Colossians 1.15 says, just a portion of the passage. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. In other words, the Greek word there for image is icon. Jesus is influential. Jesus is iconic. Jesus transcends. If you want to know what God looks like, you see Jesus. You say, Robert, do you believe that in 2020? I would ask you, 2020 from what? Like you tell me, what is 2020? Jesus, the most influential person, is the only person whose life that we celebrate their birth. You guys admire George Washington? You respect George Washington and what he's done? What do you know about George Washington's birth? Know anybody that celebrates the birth of George? Do you sing any songs about the birth of George Washington? You know the answer to that. Martin Luther King Jr., do you admire him? Do you respect him? Do you appreciate what he's done in our nation, in our world? I do. But what do you know about his birth? Very little. Do you sing any songs about his life celebrating the birth of Martin Luther King Jr.? I'll answer that for you. No. Only Jesus. Because only Jesus is the image of the invisible God. You guys remember Blockbuster? Anybody remember Blockbuster? If you don't, I'll help you. Blockbuster video. I was talking to some guys in their young 20s the other night and they're like blockbuster they sort of faintly heard about it and i told them man blockbuster like that was friday night man blockbuster was friday night and uh those of you like me back in the day man you took out your wallet and you you pulled out the blockbuster card because you had the membership and man you pick up a couple of movies you rented these movies and you would get like popcorn and cokes and raisinettes and Twizzlers and Milk Duds, at least I did, and you go home with friends and you watch them. That's Friday night. You watch a few movies and then you rewind the tapes that you watch, right? Because at Blockbuster, their theme was be kind. <laughs> Somebody say it. Be kind and rewind. There were a day, they stopped doing this, but they charged you the next time you went if you didn't rewind the tape. And here's what I'm saying. Maybe it's a silly point, but there are things that are iconic. There are images in one day that are no longer even known in another day. But 2020, from the birth of this life, the influential, iconic image of God. Do you, do you believe? Francis Collins is one of the most brilliant minds in our world today. He was on the front end of being the leader of the Human Genome Project. And now he's the director of the National Institutes of Health. This week, just a few short days ago, he stood with Dr. Dr. Anthony Fauci. Fauci has tremendous respect for Francis Collins. And Francis Collins has been a searcher, a seeker, and a finder of the most influential person in history, Jesus Christ. He's a believer, he's a scientist, he's a doctor. If you read any of your works, you'll learn, you'll learn how formational the early followers of Jesus were in planting the seeds of modern medicine. And here, just take a look, just, just a few seconds on C-SPAN. Y'all don't watch C-SPAN, do you? This was Dr. Francis Collins just a couple of days ago reading some remarks. Take a look, take a listen. That's starting to appear at the end of a long, dark tunnel called COVID-19. A light made possible by the power of NIH science and our many partners. So as a closing prayer of gratitude at this season of giving, 
I don't think I can do better than the words of David from Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And the people all said, Amen. Amen. Our Faith and science are oh so compatible. And I think about this iconic image, this influential iconic image of, Jesus, of God, Jesus himself. And the influence he's had on wise kings bearing extravagant gifts or humble shepherds with nothing to give or brilliant scientists of our day. And it reminds me so compellingly of Colossians chapter 1 and verses 19 to 20. It says this, for God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. Nobody else. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus is the only life where we celebrate him as baby. But Jesus grew up. He, Luke 2, 52, he grew in wisdom, stature, favor with God and man. You too, you too should grow up in your faith. I, you and I, we should grow in our faith. We move past baby Jesus to the fullness of God, to the work that he did on the, Christ and, on the cross. And the one who reconciled us, he calls us to reconcile others back up in Colossians 1 as we close. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. It is staggering to think of the universe that we live in. It is amazing to think about that, that it, it's being held together. And here's my testimony to you today. I share this in the first service to everybody at home, hear me. I want to be one of those stories. One of those stories who say today that Christ can hold life together. He is holding my life together. He can hold your life together. I long for everybody to learn and live for Jesus. To know the grace and forgiveness he offers for your past, for the present and purpose he gives you in your present, and for a destiny, a great destiny that he summons you to. Christmas, we've said, is for everyone. God's journey to us. Christmas is about our journey to God. Have you made that journey? Consider this Dear Santa letter. I love these Dear Santa letters. I'll just share one of them with you if we can put that up. This is a little boy who said, Dear Santa, there are three little boys who live in my house. There's Jeffrey, he's two. There's David, he's four. There's Norman, he's seven. Jeffrey's good some of the time. David's good most of the time. Norman is good all the time. I am Norman. There are no Normans. There are no Normans. And it's why as we begin to conclude today, we pull out a cup. Do you have a cup next to you? We pull out a cup because we say there are no Normans. Because we make a confession. You don't have to, but if it's genuine, you're not forced to. There's no social pressure on you. But if it flows from your heart, we're asking you to participate with us in communion on this evening. Just take the cup. There are no Normans. You and I, sin has affected every one of us. It's affected every part of us. And we need a Savior. And His name is Jesus, the image of the invisible God. Would you take the cup now, and if you peel, you'll see on the top peel there, the top layer is a way for representing the body of Jesus broken for you. 
Would you take and would you eat as an act of worship? As you peel the next layer, you'll see, of course, the juice as it represents the blood of Jesus spilled, shed for you, the remission of sins, the reconciliation of ourselves to God and to others. And this represents his blood, his body. Would you participate?